Hello, I'm John Sullivan, and this is the 401k Specialist Podcast. We're joined by Christine Benz, Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, and well, she's on fire. Um, Not literally, of course, but rather, she's here to discuss the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. Once a skeptic, she's now on board with it, somewhat, and reveals the reasons why. We also get her thoughts on the 60-40 portfolio and whether it's still relevant, as well as what to watch out for with increasing correlations in the current market. Uh, Christine, you detail your FIRE conversion in a He's called Confessions of a Former Fire Critic. So what's changed? Well, a couple of things. One is that I spent some time getting to know the fire movement. And I have to say I was a little bit dismissive of it without enough information. So we I also do a podcast with my colleague, Jeff Patak. And he and I interviewed Chris Mamula, um, who's a fire pr- proponent and an author and uh, works on a blog. And we also interviewed Tanya Hester. And really in talking to them, it allayed my financial concerns about fire. I, I have to say, I was sort of thinking, how are these people um, embarking on retirement, which could be like a 50 plus year proposition for them? How are they doing that using sort of traditional retirement planning um, research. And so in talking to them, I found them to be just incredibly thoughtful. Tanya talked to us about having just a specific fallback plan if for whatever reason her portfolio fell. And she was keenly attuned to this idea of sequence of return risk, like encountering a lousy market environment. And the longer your retirement time horizon is, the more likely you are to encounter some bad market environments. So she had just a super well thought out plan for encountering a um, weak market environment, which is not to say that I think all fire proponents are in the clear. I think some of them probably are at risk if uh, they are potentially overspending or, um, you know, not laying a fallback plan. But those two at least had been super thoughtful about uh, contingency planning around bad market events. So from that standpoint, I, I got more comfortable. And I guess I just really became appreciative of what I think of one of the central components of FIRE is, which is, you know, not only are you concerning yourself with your financial allocations and how you're investing and the stuff that that we all work on, but they're equally concerned, if not more concerned with their sort of time on earth allocations and how they're planning to spend their lives. And I think that's so worthwhile for all of us to think about because that's an even more precious resource than our financial resources. So um, I became more appreciative of it when I really understood that central principle of FIRE. Understood. Now, it, it, like you, I was a fire skeptic. And so this is a great segue to the next question. But I, I was more so a skeptic for the retire early uh, than the financial independence, and believing that if we lose our sense of purpose beyond money, uh, it can lead to some bad things. Is there still that concern, though? I mean, we still need that sense of purpose. Absolutely. And for me, I would say that's still sort of a looming consideration, mainly because I guess for me, work has been, while not perfect every day, it's just been a great source of intellectual stimulation, friendship. Um, So it's brought me a lot of joy over my lifetime. So it makes me sad to think of people hanging it up at 40 without having explored a more um, sort of compelling career path for themselves. So that's sort of my advice for people who are just sort of slogging it out, you know, want to get done with work so they can hang it up, is that 
they should explore some different career paths because it doesn't have to be that way. And I do think even for retirees, it's really important to maintain balance um, between work and relaxation. And even though they may not be engaged in remunerative work, some form of work in, in your community or within your family or what, however you choose to define it. I just think that's so important for all of us. So I would say that that's the, the idea of fire with the thought of just, you know, hanging it up so you can travel and hike and stuff. I think that maybe that probably wouldn't be super gratifying for most people in the long run. <laughs> Now, I know you and, and Jeff kind of let the math speak for itself. So have you done the math on this and does it add up? I mean, you were talking about some of the variables that go into it, like the 4% withdrawal rule. You know, does that apply to a 50-year portfolio? I don't think so. I think it's, you know, we're even questioning the 4% guideline for people with retirement time horizons, you know, of more conventional lengths, like 25 sure. to 30 years. Right. And, and the key worry there is the fact that we have very low bond yields today. It's not so much that we think the equity markets will be volatile, which we do, but that'll, you know, that'll come and go. The thing is we know with bonds is that yields foretell what you can expect from the asset class, at least over the next decade. So, you know, we're, where we're parked in the ultra low single digit, barely in the black range, that is not a good raw material for a 4% withdrawal over a traditional retirement time horizon. That gets even scarier once you stretch it out over an even longer time horizon. So I think that that is a big issue for people who are considering retire retiring early. Another big consideration is healthcare, how you cover healthcare before you're eligible for Medicare when you're not covered by any sort of private plan and you're not earning a paycheck. That I think is a big hurdle for a lot of fire proponents. Um, and then there's also the issue of not paying into social security over the whole time horizon that most of us do when we work traditional number of years before retirement. So I think that those are all worries for would-be fire practitioners. Is this a generational thing? And is it really a signal of our success? Would this have ever occurred a fire movement in say our parent or grandparent generation? That's a really good question. I think, you know, it is probably a, a, a product of our era um, where it's it's a luxury where we're even been where we've been even been able to talk about the idea of having a job that you enjoy and, and the importance of that. I mean, I think sure. that my grandparents might have considered that a luxury good. Right. Um and so I think that it is a product of our current environment. I think it, you know, in talking to some of these fire practitioners, it's also a, a product of the sort of um, frayed relationship that a lot of people feel with their employers, where they feel like, well, they don't really owe me, they, they haven't shown that they owe me anything, so I shouldn't owe them anything either. Right. That there's sort of less of that sense of loyalty to a company than perhaps was the case with employees 50 years ago. So I think a lot of it is a, a product of our times. <laughs> you know, being 401k specialist and watching the demise of the DB plan, you're not going to get any argument from, from us on that one, that's for sure. Um, right, right. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, moving to a separate topic, you mentioned uh, low bond yields. Um, Christine, the traditional 60-40 portfolio allocation is old and boring. Uh, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I don't think you're wrong. I think that um, it's a decent starting point. You know, when you look at like a Vanguard balanced index, which uses that um, same asset allocation, it's been incredibly effective at beating a lot of different um, product types. And the reason is that uh, bond yields have declined. That's been great for bond prices over several decades now. And the S&P 500 has not been uh, so bad itself over the past several decades. I think, uh, you know, my argument with it is um, that one size does not fit all. I think that most people should have some sort of a customized asset allocation. And the good news is, is that that's super easy to get today, where you can buy a target date fund or you can use some sort of robo advice or certainly hire a financial advisor to help you customize your asset allocation mix. People who are younger in their 20s, 30s, even 40s should probably have way more in stocks than 60%, especially given the meager returns we we probably will expect from bonds over the next decade. Um, so I think a lot of times you hear this argument, 60-40 is dead. And I think it's just kind of a straw man because A, very few financial providers are putting everybody in a 60-40 portfolio to begin with. And then uh, B, I think it's often used as kind of a way to tee up more complicated, overwrought, expensive products and services. Um, so I sometimes we we heard this a decade ago in the wake of the financial crisis. We're hearing it again. I think it's sometimes just uh, a signal that someone is selling something, and <laughs> you you better be careful. Yes, Jack Bogle is looking down on us with a very skeptical eye right now. Right, exactly. So you recently took a look at the always fascinating yet concerning uh, issue of increasing correlations um, and found some surprises. What were they? Yeah, I've been examining this correlations data. It's something that we can get in our Morningstar Direct software. And um, basically looking at correlations among different asset classes with an eye toward determining, well, if you have equities as sort of the central piece of your portfolio, what's the best complement to that if you want a diversified portfolio? And for the past several data runs, um, there's a strong indication that in terms of conventional asset classes, treasuries look really good from this standpoint. We've certainly seen this in real world applications in the first quarter of 2020, for example, when we had Armageddon in the equity markets, treasuries gained really well during that period. In fact, they were almost a mirror image of uh, equities in, in that um Long bonds gained about 20% as equities lost about 20% in the first quarter. Yes. So treasuries have been in the past a really, a really nice diversifier for equities. I think the open question is, given where we are with yields today, which is like under 70 basis points, can you expect them to be persistently as good into the future? I think that's an open question. Barclay, Bloomberg, Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Index also looks pretty decent from that standpoint. I guess my bias would be a little bit more in that direction for most investors, where they would have kind of a broader basket of fixed income securities. I think you could also reasonably use an actively managed intermediate term bond fund. But there's something pretty interesting in that a lot of the funds, we have really two categories for them. A lot of the funds in the core plus category 
Um, and that would be like your PIMCO total returns and MetWest total return bonds. Some of the biggies are core plus. They're less effective as diversifiers than would be treasuries or a Bloomberg Barclays aggregate tracker. So should I throw it all into managed futures at this point? <laughs> managed futures actually looked halfway decent um, from the standpoint sure. of this latest data run. And there are funds that focus on managed futures. Um, I probably would not throw it all in managed futures. The, the <laughs> right. key reason is, you know, when I look at a lot of these alternative asset classes, historically what they have delivered is a risk return profile kind of in between stocks and bonds, not, not, terrible for some categories like managed futures, but much higher expenses. Um, so for an asset class that is going to return, you know, like low single digits that has an expense ratio of like over 1%, it doesn't seem like the greatest proposition to me. I think most investors don't need them. You know, uh, years ago, you had written about long short equity and the first generation of long short equity funds and how they really underperformed. Um, it, it seems like in, in, an executive in the industry uh, said of 2008, he said, boy, those non-correlated asset classes sure were correlated. Um, are they getting right. any better at this point? I mean, what's your overall view on kind of some of the democratization, if you will, of alternative investments? Well, they haven't gained a lot of traction in terms of asset gathering. And granted, we've been in an equity bull market, so we tend not to see a lot of interest in those products during periods like this. Right. Um, but I haven't seen them gain a lot of traction. It seems like, if anything, there's more interest in the private market. There's been some chatter. I'm Sure, as you have been following very closely about um, the inclusion of private equity in the 401k space. Yeah. Um, it seems that there's more interest in that area than in the alt space today. Not that they, you know, it's either or, but it seems like if, if there's probably going to be a product type that gets pushed more heavily, I would guess it's probably more in that private equity direction and figuring out how to democratize those investments. Understood. Christine Benz, this is exactly what we needed. Thank you so much for joining us. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.